the self-help industry and the, our culture in general needs to like let go of this idea that you can have this problem-free life and start asking themselves instead, what problems do I want to have? What problems are worth my time? What problems invigorate me, excite me, inspire me? Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talks podcast. I am Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. And with me, as always, is my sidekick and partner in crime, Mr. Roger Naren. This podcast brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Imagine having experienced mentors with decades of wisdom delivered right to your ears. On this podcast, we talk about purpose, legacy, influence, love, sex, success, and so much more. Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes if you like this, share it with a friend, or subscribe and join the thousands of other changemakers in our community on Facebook, or go to www.mantalks.com. So today, Roger and I have an absolutely incredible guest, one of those kinds of guests where, you know, at the end of the interview, you stop and and literally look at the other person across from you and think, did we just interview that guy? (laughs) It's pretty incredible. So today we have Mr. Mark Manson. And uh, Mark is here to talk about a few things. Uh, we, you know, we dive into relationships, we dive into philosophy, we dive into happiness and the science of it. We, we actually end up talking about death of all things and, and how important it is. And we end up talking about his new book, which is called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Um, so this episode is definitely going to be explicit. Uh, <laughs> there, there's a couple F-bombs because we refer to the book a few times. Uh, but this is an absolutely incredible episode. And for those of you who don't really know Mark, um, first and foremost, he has uh, an online platform, a blog, where he writes about personal development that doesn't suck. That's his tagline, personal development that doesn't suck. Uh, and, and, you know, Mark dives into a, a lot of different topics from happiness to purpose to you know, relationships and habits. Um, but in this book, he's kind of addressing this, you know, interesting concept of how to attract what you want by not not caring, but by this, this sort of letting go. And so we'll dive into that and a few other things. So uh, without taking up any more of your time, let's bring on Roger and... Mr. Mark Manson. Hey, Mark, welcome to the Man Talks podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, guys, it's great to be here. Uh, Like we always do, we always want to ask our guests if they can share with us a defining moment for them as a man. I'm wondering if you have something that comes to mind. Oh, man. Uh, That's not an easy question to start the show with. That's... (laughs) Usually it's like, what did you have for breakfast? Or uh, <laughs> I mean, you could tell us what you had for breakfast first, and then we could dive into that. My breakfast was <laughs> quite defining as a man, actually. Uh, <laughs> no, I, this is probably biased because it's recent. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of things that have happened in my life that have really kind of influenced my my masculine identity. But um, I uh, I'm engaged at the moment, and I am a I basically spent all of my young, my teenage years and my young adulthood as a total commitment phobe, uh, player, womanizer. And uh, it was 
I guess reaching that point where I realized I wanted to marry my fiance uh, did a total number on me, like psychologically. <laughs> it was a pretty, um, it was an amazing, it was a scary, but it was also like a, a, an amazingly liberating realization when I realized that like, wow, I like want to make my life with just this woman. Um, and I feel like because I had spent so many years just kind of like chasing validation through vaginas uh, that re- like relinquishing me myself of that, like no longer defining myself of that, like making that commitment. Uh, I feel like it really actually freed me up to be me. Very cool. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you you. I feel like our stories might be very similar. We should. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think that 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 resonates probably with a lot of guys, but um, you know, your story definitely resonates with me as well. And seeking the validation seems to be a, a big thing that that a lot of men struggle with, whether it's with women or you know through through success or through finances or whatever the case may be. So. How is that? How is that shift? Just before we kind of move on, but how has that shift kind of you know shown up in the rest of your life? Like, have you seen changes because of this shift? Yeah, I, I feel like I, I mean it's it's subtle on the one hand, but um, it, it's funny. It, it in a way, all of like many of my hobbies and things I was once interested in, and like it feels like my personality changed quite a bit since I hit that point with her. You know, I used to be a big party animal and. You know, I was the guy out in, at the club until five in the morning. And uh, I kind of hit this point where it's like, you know, it's not really doing anything for me. Like, there's no reason to be there. There's nothing to prove. And uh, suddenly I just stopped finding it fun. And um, and I I wanted to sit at home and, and like pursue other hobbies. Like, I'm, it's weird. I'm like discovering new hobbies and passions that I never had before. And I'm like relinquishing hobbies and passions that I, I had, you know, throughout most of my twenties. Very cool. And, and, and there's gotta be a piece of you that at the time when you decided to, you know, ask, you know, ask your girlfriend to, to marry you, you were kind of shedding that old life and that old way of, of living. And you kind of, I'm sure you go through a bit of a, like a mourning process almost. Uh, but, but the realization that this life, this new life is better has got to be incredibly freeing. Yeah, there is, there is a mourning process. And, I think that's actually like the perfect word to describe it. There was a period where I just felt very like I missed it. Like, and it, it was weird because I would miss it. And then I would like go out and try to kind of re-experience it. And it wasn't the same. It just wasn't, I, my identity had changed. So I didn't have the same reactions as I used to. Um, but yeah, there was definitely a period where it felt like losing an old friend, um, and there was some a, a time period where I kind of had to like grieve and get over it. Right. It's almost, it's almost like that transition from high school to university or like university into the real world, right? Where you, you get a whole bunch of different friends from high school to university and it's, you, you feel, you feel weird about it. And then you move into this new phase, but you feel more mature and, and more grown up. And at least that, that was my, my personal experience is that when I looked back, it was like, well, I'm really not the same guy anymore. And that's okay because you know, I don't want to be that university kid anymore. So it's, yeah. uh, it can be, it can be a great experience. And I think for a lot of men, what, what would you say for, what, what would be like the advice you would give to, to guys out there who are maybe in that phase? Because I know for myself, 
I would have loved to have had some advice on how to like move through that sort of uh, philandering and partying and 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 uh, sort of sleeping around phase. So what advice would you give to any guys out there? Well, I actually I want to write an article about this at some point because I know that when I was in that phase, I was I definitely had some some negative uh, preconceptions and and biases against uh, marriage and commitment and monogamy and and things like that and um, and I, I use and looking back it was basically it was it was just a bunch of bullshit to kind of justify my behavior to myself and. I would just, I want to write an article. Uh, the The title idea that I have is like, you know, like the, the, the unspoken defense of, of marriage or, or something like that. Basically like the, the argument that you don't hear for why you, you should get married or make or commit to a person. And, and it's just the biggest thing for me is that it freed up so much mental space and energy and emotional energy uh, to pursue things that are actually really deeply important to me. Um, like you don't realize how much mental and emotional energy you're investing into like dating and chasing women and being the cool guy that all the girls like and, and all that stuff until you actually let go of it. And then you're like, wow, I, I have all of this free time and free energy to like invest somewhere more meaningful. Um, so I, I would just say to guys in that phase is like, just make sure it's a phase. Don't, don't get so caught up in it that you think, you know, this is, this is how it's, it should be forever. Like, I, I, lo- I love what you just said there be- because I think most people would look at, you know, the idea of marriage in the complete opposite way. It's, you know, when, when you get married, you, you give yourself up to somebody else and you, and you create a life with somebody else, which is a very cohabitating sort of way where, whereas you just came at it from a bit more of a self fish way like it, it, you're freeing yourself up uh, of, of all this mental space and energy and, and I'll, that's what I love about you is, is that you're not afraid to go the other way and, and do what everyone else is sort of thinking and, and I hope you really do write that and I hope it ends up on the blog one day and for listeners out there that haven't been to Mark's blog uh, it's absolutely incredible and and that's really one of the things that we wanted to touch on today is just your, your writing and and your your voice um, but more more importantly, the voice that that you've um, been putting on the blog for all these years is now being done into into a book, which is called the the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Um, wonder if you can just give us a quick little overview of the book. So the subtle art of not giving a fuck. It's um, some people might remember there was a, a very popular article last year by the same uh, by the same name, and uh, the book. It's basically, I mean. The irreverent language is, I tell people, it's kind of just a way of tricking the reader into thinking about their values. Because when you hear, as soon as you hear the word values, like, I think everybody's eyelids drop 50% and, you know, they like start checking their phone and whatever. But I I really, really wanted to write a book about values. I, I think it's so important. You know, base, it's basically, what are we choosing to find important in our lives? Like, what are we... How are we defining success and failure for ourselves? Like this, to me, this is like the ultimate personal growth question. And it's very hard to talk about. It's very hard to talk about openly. And so through the blog over the years, I found that using like very irreverent kind of ridiculous language was a a good tool to be able to talk about it, to get, get people to start thinking about 
you know, not just trying to feel good or be happy all the time, but actually like, how are they measuring themselves? How are they defining happiness or success for themselves? Because uh, in my own life, what I've discovered and, and, you know, using the example of like chasing women is a perfect example is when you define success with a poor metric, like you choose a poor definition of success, you can achieve it all you want, but it's not really going to give you anything. It's, you're not going to you're not going to live like a, a full or fulfilled life. So um, the book is basically diving into that. Awesome. And that book comes out on September 13th across Canada and the United States. What's the number one thing that you hope guys uh, and, 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 and women take away from reading it? The biggest thing I hope is, is to just set a little bit more realistic expectations. <laughs> one of the, and There's part of the book where I basically say like, look, life is full of problems. You never get rid of your problems. You just get better problems. And so the self-help industry and our culture in general needs to like let go of this idea that you can have this problem-free life and start asking themselves instead, what problems do I want to have? What problems are worth my time? What problems invigorate me, excite me, inspire me? Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a really great look on it. There's a talk by Alan, Alan Watts, which is very... Not, it's not similar. He talks about how whether or not we can actually change ourselves at all and whether it's even possible. And he kind of dives into how in North American society, one of the biggest challenges that we all face is this idea that we should have this like Disney-esque perfect life, perfect marriage, perfect health, perfect finances, and that it's actually, it's not realistic and that it's, it's, uh, it's an illusion. And so I, I really love that approach that you've, that you've taken taken and i think that you've made it really mainstream like you've you seem to have been able to tap into um a, a niche within within the personal development world and you know i even your tagline personal development that doesn't suck um i love that and i think back to before i was even in this realm and if i had stumbled across your blog sort of like you know seven years ago or six years ago i would have been like yeah this is wicked i want to give this i want to give this a read and so i'm curious as to like, can we just go back in time a little bit to when you started your blog and just and just give us and, and our listeners some insight into why you started it and and, you know, what you were hoping to to sort of like land with people when you when you started it? <laughs> sure. I, it's it's kind of a funny story because I, I never conceived. I mean, if you go back to when I. I started you know, my online, my websites and my online business, I never thought I'd ever be a writer or a blogger or it was never an aspiration of mine. Um, basically I, back in 2008, uh, I started a couple different like online, I read the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss and I was, I just, I just graduated from university. Uh, the great recession hit. So there were no jobs. And, um, and I read the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss and was like, Oh sweet. I can make a website and go live in Argentina. That sounds amazing. And, um, it all sounded so simple and like very like straightforward. So I started a a few internet businesses to try to make a little bit of money online. Uh, And back then it was basically, I just wanted to travel and, and party and meet girls. So it was like very kind of simple, humble goals. Uh, and as I was starting out back in like 2008, 2009, the, the big thing, if you like watched any marketing seminars or 
internet business gurus, the big thing everybody was saying was like, start a blog. You have to start a blog. Um, so I was like, okay, I guess I'll start a blog. And one of my businesses was revolved around dating advice, primarily for men. And uh, so I started blogging about it. And as a couple of years went by, I realized that uh, A, I was kind of a crappy marketer and didn't really know how to sell things. But B, people that tended to really like my writing and I really enjoyed writing. So it was around 2011, 2012, I, I said, well, you know, all the marketing, all this stuff on these other websites isn't really working out. So maybe I should just put all my energy into my blog and try to make it the best blog I can possibly do. And from there, things just started to take off. Um, I wrote a, a men's dating book called Models Attract Women Through Honesty. And it, it did really well. It's still doing really well. Um, and the blog just grew and grew. And then in 2013, I I kind of realized, like, why am I just writing for men? Because a bunch of women were coming to the site, too. And um, and I changed it to markmanson.net. So it, it kind of just kept... I don't know. It just kind of evolved on its own. Uh, it was never, you know, I, it was never a conscious decision to to be this big blogging personality. Yeah, and I mean, on your on your website, you you talk about um, you know, there's one great question in your sort of about section uh, that says, "Do you have a degree in psychology, and shouldn't you have one?" And your answer is no, and no. Um, I told you not to take me seriously, remember, but I think, I think that's a really, uh, interesting, interesting approach because you're kind of like, you know, in the, in the personal development world, I get the sense that you're, you're kind of like the real guy that just gives real talk and is like super fucking relatable to, to most people who aren't sort of like on the, on the fringes and, you know, what are, what are the, some of the, some of the things like growing up that you, that kind of like shaped that and sort of like shaped your voice? Cause I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with is like, how do I find my voice? How does it come out organically? And, you know, how do I find the balance between taking action and surrendering to what life's putting in front of me? Oh man, that's, that's a whole bundle of questions right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. I was going to ask you like 10 questions all at once. Cause I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. <laughs> Well, let me start with uh, the comment about the, I, I, one thing, so I got really into self-help material when I was a teenager and um, I've always been a little bit uncomfortable, something, uh, something about the whole guru thing, you know, the guy standing on stage with screaming at 2000 people who've like, do this and your life's going to be amazing today. Something about that always made me a little uncomfortable and it took me a long long time to kind of figure out what it was and basically the way i would describe it is if you take people who feel as though they're struggling in their life or they're suffering from depression or they're they've got just they're down on their luck like things aren't working out right now the way they want them to often the number one issue that these people have is that uh they don't take full responsibility uh, for themselves and their own problems. They're, they've basically spent their life always looking for somebody else to tell them what to do. And they've never learned how to decide for themselves who they want to be and what they want to do with themselves. And I see, I see self, a lot of self-help, like the guru model is, is being kind of an extension of that. Uh, 
ironically, I feel like sometimes the, the best advice a, a, a guy on stage could give to people is don't listen to me. <laughs> go like, just ignore everything I say, go decide for yourself. And so, uh, I try very hard in my work to make it very clear. Cause I get tons of emails, people saying like, Oh, what makes you such an expert or why should I listen to you? And I, I don't, I hate being put in that position that I, I feel like I have to defend myself or justify myself because the fact of the matter is, is like they don't have to listen to me and I, I'm not right all the time. And I don't know what's best for a random person who read two of my articles and emailed me a paragraph. Like it's, it's unrealistic to, to expect that to work. And so I like to see what I do, not in terms of like me standing on a hill telling everybody below what they should be doing for themselves. What I try to make clear is that everything I write about is something that I'm struggling with myself. In fact, often the reason I'm writing about it is because I'm struggling with it. And so it's kind of like this very public form of therapy for myself that is then consciously crafted in such a way that I know that thousands or millions of people are going to read it and hopefully gain some insight or inspiration for their own process. Now to go back, to, to the next question, like, where does that come from? I think a lot of that comes from, I, I've just, I'm very contrarian by nature. Even when I was a kid, I was a very rebellious kid and teenager. Uh, I got in a lot of trouble. Um, I was always the kid that was like mouthing off to the teacher or telling the teacher that they were wrong. Um, I was very obnoxious, but I, I think it, it, there's just this, streak like this independent streak in me that's always been there and that um maybe was exacerbated by things in my family situation or where i grew up i grew up in um like way out in the middle of suburbia conservative part of texas um i am not if you haven't noticed i like <laughs> I, I don't really fit in to like <laughs> living out in the middle of a conservative part of Texas. So I always felt very out of place as a kid. And I, I just got in the habit of speaking up about it. And it uh, my mouth often got me in trouble. But I think fortunately, building those habits um, in my adult life, it's it's actually served me because I feel like one of the one of the things that has made my site so popular is that I'm I'm I feel as though I'm often the person who is saying something that everybody else is thinking, but nobody else wants to say it. Right. And, and you have a really good sort of bullshit detector, I find, which, which I'm sure, you, you know, you've had a, you know, you've sort of honed that over the years, just through your, your experiences. But it's funny, it all started with, with, with a blog. And, and I find that these blogs take a, on a life of their own. And, and it's, when you say people are sending you comments, and, and you get all these emails, it's like, this is just my point of view and you happen to be the one that came to it and followed it. And, and you're, you're not claiming to be a doctor or you're not claiming to be any sort of professional. You're just putting your, your point of view out on your site. Um, so it's funny that it, it's gotten to that point. Yeah. It, it's, um, it's something I experienced early on that cause early on I kind of did, I think what everybody's natural reaction to do is I defended myself and I'm like, well, I did research on this and this. And if you read this book, it'll show you that I'm right. And First of all, like that never really, I don't think that actually accomplishes much when people, when people are skeptical of you or, or they don't, they don't agree with you. Like 
you're never going to like be like, well, I read more books than you. So I'm right. You know, it's that's it's not really a valid or productive way to go about it. But the other thing, too, is like once the blog started blowing up, I started getting like a lot of really people in like very, very desperate situations, you know, uh, fathers who just got divorced and lost custody of all their kids and lost all their money and they didn't know what to do or, or people who are suicidal or, um, you know, women in physically abusive relationships. And I am just flat out not qualified to help these people, especially given the fact that like, I have no idea who they are. All I know is that, you know, the, the paragraph that they wrote to me, um, so I quickly reached a point of like, I'm <laughs> I'm not going to open my mouth when it, when I don't know what I'm talking about, you know? So I tell these people, usually what I do is I just try to direct people to resources that are more specialized and more knowledgeable about their situation. But because it, it's, I just don't feel, I mean, even if I get it right, say in nine, nine of the 10 out, 10 of those situations, I get it right nine times. That one time I get it wrong, you know, that could like, completely screw up a person's life and um i i'm just not willing to put myself in that situation i don't i don't think i have that kind of authority or knowledge so i'm curious you, you know you've gone you've gone all these years writing on your blog but now you've you've put some of the ideas from your blog into into your new book the subtle art of not giving a fuck what was that process like for you was it freeing or was it actually quite uh limiting in a way because you you know you you, you only have so many pages in a book to, to fit everything in. And, and I'm sure you had an editor sitting over your shoulder who, who had their comments to add in. What, what was that like to, you know, essentially partner up? I loved my editor. Uh, so his name is Luke Dempsey. He's at Harper One. Uh, I loved it. It was funny. I came here to New York last summer to um, pitch, basically pitch the book to a number of publishers and, and editors. And I think, uh, I think my agent and I, we visited like seven or, seven or eight publishers. And I, I remember I walked into the room and some some of the meetings went great. And then some of the meetings were kind of like, you could tell that the the publisher had no idea what I was about. They basically just saw like the numbers of my blog and were like, oh, sweet money. Let's publish this guy. And uh, <laughs> right. uh, but I remember I walked into the meeting with with Luke and like the first thing he said to me is he said, uh, I'm a cancer survivor. It's one of the best things that ever happened to me. And I want to publish this book. And it, like, as soon as he said that, I was like, holy fuck, this guy gets it. <laughs> like he's, he is a hundred percent in. And so actually working with him was great. He, I mean, the, the process of writing the book was very hard. Cause like with articles, you, you know, there's just a one idea and it's like, okay, you can just kind of get this out in a thousand, 2000 words. And, and then you're done with a book. It's, it's amazing because it allows you to dive into much further depth and and just show a lot more meaning and how some of these concepts apply to many more areas of your life than maybe is immediately apparent. But on the other hand, you run into this this danger of like going too nerdy and wonky and like getting like way philosophical about something that you just really don't need to be. So for me, it was very hard finding that balance between providing the more depth on some of these ideas that that offers a lot of value, but at the same time, like not getting into this like philosophical treatise on like the nature of identity or whatever. And so actually I found I found, my editor was very helpful with that. Like he was good at 
catching that and reining me back in and being like, you know, dude, like, let's leave this stuff out. <laughs> like we get the point, you know, uh, that's what editors are for. <laughs> so let's, let's dig more into the book. And I especially want to talk about this whole concept of not giving a fuck. And I'm hoping you can kind of walk everybody through that concept, but through the, the lens of the story around Charles Bukowski, because I know that, that story is in the book. I'm wondering if you can kind of uh, share that with us. So I, I opened the book with the, the story about Bukowski because I, I immediately wanted to f- demonstrate that this is not your typical self-help book. And what I talk about is that Bukowski was an alcoholic. He was a total failure and loser. He had no money. Um, he just was kind of a disgusting human being. For most of his life and he wrote poetry for i think it was like 30 or 40 years yeah i think it was 30 35 or so yeah without ever getting published like he was rejected from everything pretty much nonstop. and um and then finally in his 50s uh an editor took a chance on him and and gave him a, a book deal and he actually he kind of became this sensation and and his work is actually it's incredible i'm a huge fan of him so I kind of start the book with this and I'm like, this is your, this is kind of your prototypical American dream story. You know, a uh, man believes in himself, works really hard, fights through the odds, de- battles with his demons and depression and, and comes out the end of success and famous and this big literary hero. And, um, but it's funny cause Bukowski on his gravestone, he put, he put the words, don't try which has like baffled a lot of people ever since his death. And the point I try to make with that is that often success or getting what you want out of life, it's not really so much like achieving something great. It's simply letting go of what's not important, letting go of preconceptions you might have about what a successful or famous person should be or what you have to do to be successful or famous, what you need to do to be a good person uh, what the book essentially argues is that it, it's our problem isn't that people aren't achieving enough. It the problem is that people expect themselves to achieve too much. There's too much people's expectations for themselves are unrealistic. So, and that's where not giving a fuck comes in. Is when you take an account of your life, take inventory of your values and and what you're you're spending your time on, what you care about. And really being brutally honest with yourself and saying, you know what, like that doesn't matter. I need to stop caring about that. Um, and there's uh, all sorts of kind of prototypical examples can come into play here. You know, it's like we were t- talking earlier, validation from women or sleeping with a lot of women, uh, chasing money, having a really nice car. Like it's we all know deep down that these things uh, don't bring lasting fulfillment or happiness, yet we get so caught up in chasing them all the time. And um, the irony, or actually I I reference Alan Watts in the first chapter, Alan Watts used to call this the backward law, which is that often the more you let go of needing all of these external markers to make yourself feel good, the more you let go of those things, ironically, the, the more you achieve, the happier you become and the more fulfilled you become. Yeah, interesting. It's kind of like what what we touched on before, which is that idea of being able to still take action in your life. Because I think, you know, it can, the pendulum can swing really far in the other direction of, 
you know, the kind of like the book, like the secret, right. Where the whole premise is like, just manifest, just have a, just have a vision and just manifest that shit. And like, and just like, like, and just like, let go and just think about it and it'll just happen in your life. And so I think what, what you're saying is really this, this sort of, you know, counterbalance or this balance between still taking action in life and being really realistic about the things that you need to do in order to achieve some sort of success, but letting go of the sort of immense amounts of expectations that we put on ourselves and letting go of the sort of, I mean, yeah, just, just in a, in a very roundabout way, not giving a fuck about whether or not it happens exactly as we have envisioned it or ordained it, trying to like ordain it to happen. Is that does that sound about accurate? Yeah, and and the book die as you go through the book, it kind of dives into it slaughters a number of sacred cows, <laughs> I guess you could say, like in terms of like <laughs> things that our culture is always telling us are are really important or really matter. And you know, the book just kind of takes them one by one, and it's like, no, you shouldn't give a fuck about that. No, 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 that don't give a fuck about that either. And uh, so, so can you give us a few examples of, of just a, a couple things off the top of your head that you shouldn't give a fuck about? T- tell us about a sacred cow that, that <laughs> needs to be slaughtered. <laughs> well, a career success for one, or, uh, or, or being extraordinary is one I spend an, a, a quite a bit of time on. It's like being, cause it's, again, it's something that comes up in self-help all the time. It's like, everybody's exceptional. Everybody can be extraordinary. And, what I point out is that it's just fundamentally at the beginning, like that is logically inconsistent. If everybody is exceptional, if everybody is extraordinary, uh, then by definition, nobody is extraordinary because the definition of extraordinary is that you are like one out of a million. So um, I make the argument that, you know, it's the vast majority of our lives uh, and the vast majority of us is we're, we're, we're more or less like somewhere near the average. Like we're, we're pretty things are pretty humdrum and repetitive. And that's just part of life. That's part of life for everybody. Even the people who are quote unquote extraordinary, like a Brad Pitt or Steve Jobs or something like their life is repetitive and becomes mundane and they become desensitized to things. And, and I think we've just been sold this idea that there's always this like kind of amazing achievement out there for ourselves that, uh, you know, once we get that, you know, our life is going to be so much better or so much more amazing. And, uh, and I dive into all kind of all the reasons, all the logical fallacies of like why that's not true. So where's the sort of like the middle ground then? Because I think a lot of people, a lot of people pursue like we've been sold this sort of like, again, like Disney idea of what our life and relationships should be like, that, that they should just be these perfect things. And that's pumped out through, you know, personal development channels and the sort of like gurus of the world. Um and so a lot of people seek meaning and fulfillment in this idea of being unique, special, and, you know, extraordinary. So in, in your sort of dive into this, in this topic, you know, how do you bring people back to meaning and fulfillment? Like where do you have any suggestions for people that might, you know, see that that's a bit of a fallacy to, to chase this, you know, perfect, extraordinary life and how do they find fulfillment in their everyday um you know, the, the everyday sort of like quote unquote struggles. Yeah. I, I make an argument and it's really not a sexy argument, which again is why <laughs> you need all this, this kind of like crazy language, but it, it's, I, I basically make an argument for the ordinary. Uh, it's the most meaning in our life. Really. It generally comes from uh, a handful of our closest relationships, like spending time with the people that we care about the most 
a couple skills that we feel we're very good at and um, feeling as though we're, we're building something or contributing something, you know, whether that's like just volunteering in the neighborhood or like raising good kids or building a huge like unicorn startup. Like it doesn't, it's the, the scale of it really is inconsequential to how impactful and meaningful we can feel about ourselves. And again, this a lot of this comes from my life. Like I just got so caught up in kind of these grandiose visions of myself for a number of years that it's like one of the biggest shifts for me uh, in the last five years or so is just kind of this realization of simplifying and getting back to just kind of like having some very like humble aspirations. You know, it's for me, it's like I just want to be the best writer I can be. I want to be a positive influence on the people who read my work and I want to have like good, meaningful relationships in my life. And like, as soon as I kind of like just cut all the crap out and like narrowed my circle down to just those few goals, life became so insanely simpler and less anxious and less, uh, I, I just, I stopped like brooding and obsessing over all sorts of things. And, um, I don't know. It just it just became easy and and enjoyable. <laughs> I I don't know how else to describe it. But I could I could see how for the average guy out there, letting go of some of these things is going to be a scary process. It's it's got to have a lot of fear and and anxiety attached to it. When the reality is, when you let go of those things, you you create less anxiety for yourself. But not having to you know uh, worry about uh, you know your career or not having to worry about success to a lot of guys is is a scary thing to even consider totally and and usually like the first knee jerk reaction of people who are kind of caught up in this is like well if i if i if i stop like wanting to you know become like regional vp then i'll never achieve anything i'll just like i'll barely work and i'll be a loser and uh that's actually not true. I mean, and this, this this gets into this is what like the book gets into the nitty gritty of. I wish is, you just have uh, like that saying at the end of every stupid argument. That's actually not true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is this is what kind of the book gets into the nitty gritty of is is like you know we all have to give a fuck about something. Pay attention to where you're giving your fucks, and some places are better to give fucks than others, and. You know, and so what I would say to a situation like that or like what the book would talk about is giving a fuck about like reaching some certain rung on the career ladder is actually less effective than, say, giving a fuck at being an inspiring leader or developing your leadership skills or becoming like the foremost expert in your field in a certain part of your field. Um, Like there's there's much better yardsticks to measure success by than simply like becoming VP. And and again, there's all sorts of reasons for this, but I mean, you can, the big reason is that in studies have found that when our goals are purely external, when they're like purely like external signifiers, such as like receiving a certain title or making a certain amount of money, people cut corners. People start doing things that are ethically questionable. People start like lying and fibbing and smudging the lines of, you know, maybe exaggerating a little bit of, of what they were doing before, because it's, it's when the goal is a purely external reference, then, you know, the way you got there doesn't really matter. And so to put it simply, like what the book would argue is that what you should be giving a fuck about or what the goal should be is the way to get there. And then you just let that, that external signifier happen as a side effect. Awesome. And I can imagine that 
you know, not giving a fuck is a really powerful tool when dealing with things like adversity or, you know, big challenges in our life. So uh, I'm curious, do you dive into that, into that topic at all? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's an entire chapter on like, basically telling you to stop giving a fuck about your emotions. (laughs) It's like, like, oh, you're tired and cranky and angry because you feel like life's a fuck you. Like, get over it. It doesn't matter. You're not saying that you can't still feel tired and cranky and angry. No. Yeah, of course. It's um, what I say is that it's emotions are essentially just feedback mechanisms. They exist for a reason, particularly negative emotions. They, they evolved for a very good reason. Um, pain evolved for a very good reason. So we shouldn't avoid it and we shouldn't despair when we feel it. it, it they're, they're just simply sick, like road signs saying, hey, slow down or like, don't go this way. Nothing more, nothing less. And it's very hard for people. So, so many people get so caught up in that and they they make it such a huge priority in their lives and their decision-making that it, it leads them to a lot of trouble. And that's where the adversity thing comes th- from. It's like if, you, if the thing you give a fuck about is something like really big and important, then adversity is like not even, it's nothing. It's just like, it's a speed bump. You're like, okay, whatever, some adversity, I'm going to deal with this problem and I'm going to move on. Whereas if you're, the primary thing you give a fuck about is just feeling good all the time then as soon as adversity pops up, like your whole, you're going to freak out. You're going to lose control of yourself because, you know, suddenly it's your primary goal is, is being jeopardized. Yeah. I mean, so it kind of sounds like what you're saying in a roundabout way is that, you know, improving our life doesn't really hinge on our ability to turn lemons into lemonade, but our, you know, learning how to stomach lemons better. Yeah, exactly. Learn how to like the lemons or, or find Find something that you care about enough that it's worth eating lemons. <laughs> nice. So, uh, so we just need to start wrapping it up soon. But I'm I'm curious. You know, like you you've probably done a couple of interviews on the book, and you know it's it's getting a lot of attention out in the public right now. What's one sort of like fun fact or something that you may not have shared on Fuck uh, you lawnmower? Yeah, on on uh, other podcasts about the actual book. Oh man. we want the secrets here mark we want the secrets all right so something that hasn't come up on uh any other podcast the last chapter is actually about death and um i personally think it's like it's my favorite thing that i've ever written and i think it's completely different it's like a very god i don't even know how to describe this it's basically the whole chapter is is telling people to like get comfortable with the idea of their like take time like carve the time out of your life to contemplate your own death and become comfortable with the idea of it. And uh, which is to me is like the most anti self-help message that could ever exist. But uh, I I think it's, it's like, it's something that's been very profound in my own life. And it's, it's, it's actually, it's probably the, the part of the book that I'm the most excited about. And it's, very few people have seen it yet. So awesome. Um, awesome. The shit, shit just gets dark at the end. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's uplifting too. It's crazy. It's, it's, I love well, it. I mean, it's a really, it's a really important message because, you know, A, a lot of people struggle with their own mortality and, and B, a lot of people, you know, a lot of um, sort of theologians and, and philosophers talk about the importance of envisioning our and and, and understanding our, our own mortality. So why did you put that in there? Like, why do you think it's important? Well, essentially, I tried to kind of ground a lot of that philosophical stuff and make it a little bit more practical. And, and 
essentially the argument I make is that, you know, when it comes to determining all these things that the book talks about, like, you know, what do you give a fuck about? Like, how do you measure success and failure? How do you decide what matters and what doesn't? The only really objective thing that you can compare it to is, is death. Like it's, death is the ultimate equalizer. Uh, so, you know, suddenly like right now, buying that Corvette might seem really, really important. But when, if you take the time and think about your own death (laughs) for long enough, you suddenly realize how unimportant it is. Uh, whereas like something like say spending more time with your kids, death puts that in perspective in a really useful way as well. So I think on a very practice you know because there's there's so much stuff out there right now about life purpose find your passion find your life purpose and obviously it's a very important thing to do but it's i i don't think you can separate that question from thinking about your own death because like how do you know what what the value of your life is if you don't think about what what the world would be without you in it if that makes sense yeah, no, that makes that makes total sense. Just before we wrap up, thank you so much for sharing about the book. I, I think that gives us some really great insight. September 12th, it's going to hit the shelves. 13th. 13th. Sorry, 13th. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Wonderful. So before we wrap up, um, we have some rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Go for it. Awesome. Okay, so the one experience you'd recommend to anyone and everyone. Oh, God. <laughs> uh sex i don't know (laughs) awesome perfect what's the most underrated trait for modern day success uh humility the one book you take with you if you were stranded on a desert island war and peace by tolstoy Mm. and the one movie you take and my question to myself is where are you getting the power to run the movie um well i would have a generator obviously and um i would take I would, my favorite movie of all time is, is American Beauty. Nice. Um, single biggest lesson from, from blogging? Um, single biggest lesson is that people all think that their problems are really unique and special and not shared by anybody, but they're pretty much all, everybody's problems are pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. And who do you think is the most influential person of all time and why? Oh, wow. <laughs> just, just a light one for you. This is a softball. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I would have to go with either Jesus or Newton. Hmm. Jesus or Newton. Very, Total- very different. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, well, Jesus, obviously, the whole uh, Christianity is the biggest religion in the world and was largely responsible for a lot of the imperialism. And then, but Newton, like, he like birthed modern science, which is completely changed everything so i actually i'm gonna lean towards newton on that one i love it that's a that's a really good one and then finally uh what is the legacy that you want to leave in the world speaking of mortality um the legacy i would like to to leave is i would like basically just my writing to have a, a strong and powerful influence on a lot of people and i would basically just like to be known for bringing for grounding self-help again um keeping it realistic, keeping it accountable for its its own bullshit because we all have bullshit. And so we just need to admit that. 
Awesome. Well, Mark, you've done an incredible job with the blog and we can't wait to read the book. Um, it, guys, go out and get the book. It's, it's going to be absolutely incredible. It's going to be on shelves September 13th, but you can pre-order it right now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all those different places online. Um, you can also go to markmanson.net and you can pre-order the book. Um, he's got all sorts of really awesome uh, pre-order giveaways. Um, thanks again, Mark. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, you can learn more about Mantox uh, by visiting mantox.com for more podcasts, blog posts, lots of amazing new articles that are up there and information on all of our events. And please, please, please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a rating. It goes a long way to help man it forward and get the podcast into as many ears as possible. Thanks so much for listening to the Man Talks podcast. Catch us next week for another inspiring conversation with an inspiring man. 